0: Well, amen. We, are, uh, we're, we started a new series last week after our, our big Easter celebration. Um, we've been looking at members of one body. That's our new sermon series. And we started last week with the gospel. And this is sort of a, in a sense, a, a repackaging of our new members class. Uh, but I think what it, what's in the new members class really applies to all Christians. So if you're here and you're a visitor, don't, you don't have to tune out. Uh, but really dealing with what what does it mean to be part of a church? Who are we as Christians? And what does it mean to be part of this particular church as well? Last week we talked about the gospel, which is the message, the foundation, right? I mean, the thing of first importance for the Christian life. This week we're going to talk about the church. The church. What is the church? We're going to be in 1 Peter 2, 4-10. to You can open your Bibles there if you would like. But the church is the people who believe The gospel, the people who believe the gospel. So if last week we talked about the gospel, those who receive Christ as Savior and as Lord, look to God and His work through His Son uh, to make us His own, all those who believe that then are part of the church. Uh, And this is maybe, uh, if if you get nothing else, get this. Because this, I think, is an important thing. We get confused a lot. There is a difference between the church, capital C, (laughs) the church universal, which really represents all Christians... In all places, throughout all the world, and throughout all of time and history. So even those in glory now, part of the church triumphant, are part of the one church. The one bride of Christ. The one larger body of Christ. So that's the church in the capital C sense. But then there is what we might call the local church. lowercase C. The local church. A local gathering of believers. The visible church sometimes, as opposed to the invisible church. Um, A group of Christians, one small microcosm of the larger church that meets together and does certain things together, which we're going to talk about. Studies the scriptures, does Lord's Supper, baptism, and all that in this upcoming series. Um, Friends, we are, of course, called to be part of both. When you become a believer, you are automatically put into the church, the larger church, capital C, but then you're called to find a local gathering of people, a local gathering of believers, and to join and be part of what God is doing in that specific community. Here's the point. We're, we're not called to go it alone. Think about that. Uh, imagine living the Christian life all by yourself. You know how difficult that would be, right? No fellowship, no accountability, no church family, no, no one else to sort of check in on how you're doing spiritually. You're, you're all by yourself. How difficult that would be. And many people have had to do that. Of course, some missionaries and some maybe in prison for their faith and so forth. But that's the exception, not the rule. In general, God calls us as Christians to do it together with a gathered group of people. And there's so many benefits, there's so many blessings that come with being part of a local church. And again, I'm thinking of this church in particular. When they started, when they thought about what they doing together, uh, they wrote a covenant. And uh, when we were sort of reviewing the church covenant um, recently, when we went through our whole constitution review, we were trying to decide what to do with it, and we read the old covenant, the only covenant that I know that the church has had. I don't know if it goes back right to 1765, but it goes way back. We read it, and we said, nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing has changed except for maybe the way we speak, the English that we use. We don't use the old king's, uh, the queen's uh, English, but basically it's the same. So we say, we're going to keep the same church covenant. We're not making any difference from it. So here's what here's one line from what the covenant says that I hope is still true of us as a church together. That we engage to regard each other's temporal and spiritual welfare, well-being, to walk together in brotherly love, to exercise a Christian care and watchfulness over each other, administering or receiving admonition or reproof as the case may require. With all meekness and affection, forbearing, being patient with one another, and forgiving one another. I hope that's still what we're called to do together to regard each other's spiritual and temporal welfare, forgive, to love one another, to build one another up. Nothing has changed. Friends, here's the interesting thing about church as we talk about what the church is all about. Here's what's happening in the church right now, here in the United States and around the world. So, here's what's happening in the church in the United States, Christianity in the United States. Christianity, from an outward appearance, seems to be dying. Okay, so it's decreasing right now in the United States and in the West and in Europe as well. But that's really just sort of a surface level look at what's happening. What's really happening, if you do sort of deeper studies, which they've done, is that nominal Christianity which is Christians in name only, uh, nominal Christianity is dying out. So in other words, those who don't really have a very deep faith, those who really are just kind of coming for the social aspects of, of being part of a church, they're emptying out in churches. But what's left in the church then are those who are more serious, more deep in their faith. That's what's happening in Christianity in the West. And I would say, That's a good thing. (laughs) I think in the long run, that may end up being a really good thing. I mean, churches tend to be stronger and healthier than they have been, even though numerically they may not be what they once were. That's what's happening in the United States. Here's what's happening in the world. The Gospel is spreading rapidly like it's never done before in history. Through Africa, South America, and Asia incredibly, like we've never seen in human history, and new churches are popping up like crazy all over China and India and all throughout Africa as well. That's what we're seeing around the world. Here, it seems to be dying. I think it's actually getting strengthened and healthier. Around the world, it tends to be spreading. God always preserves and protects his Church because the church is the people who believe the gospel. look with me first Peter chapter two verses four through 10 uh, so we're going to kind of bouncing around scripture in this series so each Sunday we're sort of picking one place in the Bible there's so many different parts of the Bible that talk about the church of course, but we're going to land here in first Peter chapter 2 uh, verses four through 10. as I mentioned, it will be uh, you, can, you can grab a Bible in front of you. Uh, or if you brought one, and we will also have it up on the screen. There is an outline in your bulletin as well, if you want to see where we're going. Chapter 2, verse 4 to 10, we read this. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, of course, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and a rock of offense. A lot of quotes from the Old Testament. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church is the people who believe the gospel. Look with me at the scripture, and as I said, there's an outline in your bulletin. Verses 4 to 5, the church is a priesthood of believers. A priesthood of believers. Peter describes the church as a spiritual house. Which, really, in the Jewish mindset, they would immediately think of a temple. That's what a spiritual house is. The temple, actually. He says, we come to the stone. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the stone. Uh, He is rejected by men, chosen by God. Uh, This is Jesus' own self-description, by the way. Oftentimes, Jesus would refer to himself as the stone that causes stumbling. The stone that everything is built upon. He says, as we come to this stone, meaning Jesus, we also... Are like stones. <laughs> we are like living stones. And why are we like stones? Because we're building something together. All of us are, are building. Each part of us acts as a sort of brick to build something. And what is that something? We're building the temple. <laughs> we're building, not a building, not a physical actual building. We're building the dwelling place of God. He kind of switches illustrations a little bit. But stays in that same general theme. When he describes all the Christian church there as a holy Priesthood, the holy priesthood. And he says it again in verse 9, calling them a royal priesthood. It's very important to understand he's talking to all here. He's not talking to some of the leaders or some elite group of Christians. He's saying all of you are the, a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. And what do you do? You bring spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean that we are a temple and that we are all priests? I like what Matthew Henry said, all true believers are a holy priesthood, sacred to God, serviceable to others, endowed with heavenly gifts and graces. Well, the temple, as I said, is where God dwells. It's where His Holy Spirit dwells on this earth. That's what defines what the temple is. That's why Jesus said that he himself is the temple as he dwelt with us because he's the dwelling of God with us. And Peter's point is that the temple of God is not a building since Christ has died and rose but a people where his spirit dwells within. He says we're priests. Well, what is a priest? A priest is one who intercedes between human beings and God. That's what a priest's primary duty is. A go-between between God and man. Well, he says here that we all, all human beings, all all human beings who are in Christ, all Christians, have a direct access to God through Jesus. We don't need a priest of this world. Priests offer sacrifices. That's what we do as well. We offer spiritual sacrifices, the sacrifice of worship, of obedience, and of love for one another. Priests offer worship. That's what we do. All of us are called to worship the Lord, to exalt him. Now, why does this matter, that we are a priesthood of all believers here? Uh, this is a big issue in the Reformation, that there wasn't sort of this elite group of Christians and then had everyone else, the lady, but that all God's people were, in a sense, priests before God. Um, I'm not a priest. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Um, there's a difference. There's a big difference, actually. Uh, pastor is a biblical term. Somebody recently said, um, I think it was at the National Day of Prayer, he, he said, All of us are pastors, that's not true. (laughs) But all of us are priests, that much is true. Some people still do call me Father Rick, Every once in a while. And then they meet my wife. And I think they're surprised to meet her. So Father Rick has a wife. I don't know how that works. uh, Necessarily. Uh, But we we don't have priests. I know some traditions do. Some Christian traditions do. And I'm not here to get down on them. Necessarily. I know the Anglicans do. Episcopalians do. uh, Roman Catholics of course do. Uh, But I think when you look at the scripture. That's not what we find. We find the priesthood of all believers. All Christians are responsible for sacrifice and worship. And to take care of ministry in the church. And just as a side note here. That's why we have a, an annual meeting <laughs> as a church. That's why we don't just make decisions as elders and pastors. We, we, we bring it to you as a church. When we add new members. We want that, those new members to be presented to the whole church. So you know who those new members are. We want to present what our ministries have done over the year. We want to present our budget to everybody. We want to make sure that the whole church is involved. Because we are the priesthood of all believers. You're a priest. Uh, you are responsible to know the Bible on your own. Uh, y- y- yes, I'm going to teach the, the word as best as possible, but you're responsible to know the Bible. You're responsible to read it and to discern and even to disagree with what comes from this pulpit if that's what you find in the Bible. You're responsible to worship God individually. You're responsible to serve in ministry. It's a big part of what it means to be a church, that everyone is gifted in a certain way, with a certain spiritual gift, to use to serve God's people. Uh, ministry is not for a specific set-apart group. It's for all of us. Uh, one of the most powerful images I think we find in the Bible to describe the church like this is the body. The body of Christ. Like, like a human body that has multiple different parts and pieces that all have different functions, but you need them all, really. Um, so the church works like that. And he talks about the eye and the ear, and if one part can't say to another. So you got the eye, right? Focused on the visual. Maybe, maybe we'll put in that category, people who are, are really about making sure the facility looks nice. <laughs> they're, 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 they're making sure that the, the landscaping is done well, and that the inside is well vacuumed, and things are polished. They're making sure everything looks nice on the, on the, to the eye. And then you have the people who are about the ear. And their gifting is with worship. Right? Make sure that, that people are hearing good praise and worship on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's also the sound guy over there as well. They're the ear. And the ear can't say, I don't need, I don't need the eye. Eye people aren't important. And the, ear people, and the eye people can't say, I don't need the ear. Then there's the mouth. Um, I guess that would be the preacher. Maybe I'm the mouth, right? Make sure that the, the word is preached from here. Um, a lot of people, I think, are a hand. <laughs> are a hand. Uh, you're about serving. Uh, Pastor Rick, don't ever put me before the congregation to make any announcements or any speeches. I don't want to do that. But I will come, and I'll do whatever needs to be done to help serve behind the scenes. Um, And then there's maybe the foot. Uh, Those people who go, uh, we can't just stay here. We should be, you know, hoofing it out there, getting into the community, doing different things, maybe going to the mission field. And the point is, all of the body is ultimately one with its diversity of gifts. One, one part is not more important than the other, that the whole works together. That's what the church is. Let me just make one other point here about what it means to be a priest and the priesthood of all believers, and that is to pray. If a priest did nothing else, they should be praying. I uh, like what Samuel said in the Old Testament. He said, I will not sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, he said to the people. And I hope that's true of us, friends, that we take seriously the calling then to pray. Uh, with one another for our church family. Uh, all of us should be praying for our church. Uh, Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., we actually have our corporate prayer meeting, and I just encourage you to come out. Um, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, we're, we have, I think there's a pretty regular six people that come to pray. Two of them are moving. <laughs> so if you're interested in praying, we could really use you on, on Wednesday night because our group is going to be Thirded away, or whatever you would call that. So we need you as priests to come and to be take seriously this calling to pray for our church family. We've seen God do some mighty things uh, through prayer in that group. Six through eight, the church, not only is it a priesthood of believers, it is a Jesus-centered community. Which, of course, is our vision as a church. That we'd become more and more so a Jesus-centered. Centered community. This is the part where Paul quotes a whole bunch of, of Old Testament scripture um, all about the stone. <laughs> the stone who is Jesus. The first one is from Isaiah 28:16, where it says that Jesus is the chosen stone, or the Messiah is the chosen stone. And those who believe in him, those who trust in this stone, will not be put to shame. Uh, that they will not stumble is the idea. If you trust in Jesus, you're not going to be disappointed. Uh, you're not going to come to the end of your life, or really even more important, to in, into passing into eternity and say, man, I blew it. I shouldn't have trusted in Jesus. He's saying those who trust in him will never be put to shame. The second one is from Psalm, Psalm 22. Uh, it says, for those who don't believe, remember that this rejected stone becomes the cornerstone. Yes, Jesus was rejected by many of his day and time, but the whole church is built on him. Uh, This is important, the cornerstone idea. I did have a picture. I sent this to Josh last minute, and he was gracious enough to get it up there. But when we were in there, we saw, this is the one, of course, remaining wall of the temple in Jerusalem. So if you're thinking, sometimes you think of a cornerstone in today's buildings, and it's like this little thing. Uh, These stones were enormous. And the lower you get in the temple, um, the bigger the stones get. And we don't even have the the original cornerstone, I don't think, uh, still existing today. Uh, But this would be a massive, huge stone. (laughs) That's the cornerstone of the temple. And that, that stone was the stone, most important stone in any ancient building. It's certainly in the temple. It was the first stone that you would set down when building a new building. And all of the other blocks were plumbed to that one stone. And he's saying here, Jesus is that cornerstone for the spiritual house that God is building with you and me. As, a spir- as living... Stones, part of what God is building through His church. The third one is from Isaiah 8 14. He says here the stone is also one of stumbling, one of offense, meaning even still today, people trip over Jesus. People are offended by Jesus. He says that they disobey even as they were destined to do so. Peter absolutely assumes the sovereignty of God over everything. But notice, Jesus is the center. (laughs) When we talk about a cornerstone, that's the center stone. That's what everything else is built on. Now, what is the church? It is a group of people who meet with Jesus at the center of what we're about. Our vision, as I said, is to become a Jesus-centered community. That's what makes a church a church. Let me just say, I think it's important then to see what we are not that's what we are, what are we not? Um, we are not a physical building. And I, I know that maybe you've heard that a million times, but it's, it's an important thing to remind one another uh, that this building that we are sitting in right now is a beautiful and wonderful edifice. Uh, and that it is a great blessing and gift and tool that God has entrusted to First Baptist Church. By the way, this isn't our original building. This is our fourth, fourth building over our long history there. And of course, the other side of the building is is much newer than this part. Uh, Buildings are a gift. Uh, They're a good thing. I don't think necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Not every church has a building, by the way. Uh, But they are not the church. If, God forbid, this church were to burn to the ground, we would still meet next Sunday. And we'd figure out what to do next. I don't know where we'll meet. We'll meet somewhere. uh, Hopefully right here in town. Uh, But we would continue to meet because the church is more the building. The church is not a social club. I hope, we hope, that you've made good, deep, wonderful relationships here. But it's far more than that. It's not just about horizontal relationships. It's about vertical knowledge of the living God and how he brings his people together. The church is not a political organization. Um, I have political views. You probably don't know them. You know why? Because I almost never mention them from the pulpit. (laughs) Because this is really not the place for it. Here, it doesn't matter what your political views are. Ultimately, what we're seeking here is a people who know and love God. And that does shape how we view the world and our country and all of that. It may take time and discipleship. And we may even still come to disagreeing positions on that. Or more than that. It's not the church is more than social action we are here yes to love those in our city and those who are hungry we want to make sure they find a good meal and those who are cold in the winter they find a good jacket i know a lot of you guys dead, uh gave up some good uh, men's clothes this last winter we were able to help and to serve and we definitely want to do that but we are not just here to help people's physical needs we're called to be a jesus-centered community Here's how the Bible describes the church in a number of different ways. It's the body of Christ. We talked about that. Uh, So if the church is a body with all its different parts, Christ, in a sense, is the the, the lead. He's the one who controls the body, the mind, the the brain, the head, however you want to describe it. We are the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom, and we are his bride, whom he loves and whom he's committed to forever. The temple of God, we talked about that, the dwelling place of God's spirit. Spirit, the pillar of truth, it's called. So if the world ebbs and flows in its understanding of God and of right and wrong, and there should be one group, one organization, one people on this earth who still proclaim loudly and clearly who God is and what he has done for sinners, and that is the church. We are the institution against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus said, ultimately, the church will never lose. When you think about it, if Jesus didn't have a knowledge of the future, which he certainly did, but if he did, what an audacious claim. That this organization that starts with 12 people, actually 11, and they had to add a sort of 12th one, will last for as long as this world lasts, right to the end. It's been 2,000 years, and he was right. (laughs) The church not only continued on, but is spreading rapidly, as I said, throughout the entire world. A Jesus-centered community. Friends, how do we become more of this? So if our vision is becoming a Jesus-centered community, and we already are a Jesus-centered community, uh, how do we do that? Well, that's the whole Christian life, isn't it? We are becoming what we already are. Uh, We are justified in Christ, and now we're getting used to that justification, living for God in practice. In the same way, we are a Jesus-centered community through Christ, and we seek to become more and more so. We do that by reminding one another of the gospel. We talked about this last week. We hold fast. We stand on this gospel. Jesus is the message that we proclaim. It's the heart of what we believe. Friends, the church is so so valuable in this. Um, I don't don't mean to to offend anyone here, but but as human beings, we are frail. (laughs) And we are mortal, and we are weak, and we are wandering in our hearts. I know that because that's my own heart right there. And we need help. I think the most dangerous place to be spiritually is a place you say, I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. I got this. (laughs) I think that's a dangerous place to be. We need help. It's like AA. And I think AA is, a, is an outstanding organization. We host a, an amazing AA meeting here, and I'm glad that we're part of that. But what does that start? It starts with saying, I need help. I can't do this on my own. And until you come to that place, <laughs> you're in big trouble. But it's when you come to that place of saying, I need help, spiritually speaking, that's when you recognize I need to be part of a church. Because we can't do it alone. Whereas I think one thing we need to do is certainly be explicit about what we believe about Jesus. Uh, not just talk about spirituality, although I'm okay with that term, Uh, not just talk about religion. I'm even okay with that term. Some say, oh, it's not a religion. Well, it depends on how you define religion and so forth. Not just talk about God. Well, that's good to talk about God, but we have something more specific even than that. We talk about God's Son, Jesus who came and broke into our world and died in the place of sinners and rose in triumph over the grave. That's our message. (laughs) It's not just God in general. Well, that's good. It's about a savior who has come to us. And I just encourage you too to teach your kids or your grandkids about Jesus specifically. And friends, pray in Jesus' name. That's why we're called again and again to pray in his name in line with who God is and what he has done through his son. As we're called to be a Jesus-centered community. And then in 9 to 10. The church is the people who belong to God. church is the people who belong to God. Look what he says. Peter describes what the church is like. And he uses sort of a, a litany of phrases. A whole bunch of short little phrases. To describe what the church is all about. And a lot of these... I'm sure Mitch could tell you, uh, these, are, these are references to Israel. These are references to Old Testament Israel, a chosen race. Well, Of course, the church is made up of multiple races, a holy nation. There's not one nation for the church, right? So he's using these Old Testament references to Israel to describe the church. Why? Because we have been grafted in as Christians into Israel. We're part of God's people throughout all of history. He describes them as a people, us for, as a people for his own possession. I love that. God owns us. <laughs> We're his prized, prized possession. God's special people on this planet. We're his. We belong to him. He owns us. We're called to proclaim the excellencies of God. Uh, The excellencies of his character, a God who reigns supreme over everything and is perfect in his love and in his mercy, his justice and in his holiness. And to proclaim his works, what he has done throughout all of history and especially in the person of his son Jesus and throughout all of church history. The one who has called us out of darkness, spiritual blindness and ignorance to God and called us into light. We can see and know God truly. He reminds us that we were once not a people. (laughs) Again, Christians were just parts of all different nations all over the planet and so forth, and uh, we we were just individuals, and, and now we are a people, God's people. We had once not received mercy. We were under His righteous judgment, His righteous wrath, and now we have received mercy. Friends, who is the church? Now, this 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 may sound a little exclusive or a little self focused to say, well, they're are his people on this whole planet. But remember, everyone is welcome. <laughs> There's no he's saying, declare his praises. Let anyone who would come to join in God's door is wide open, and he calls anyone to come and to be part of his people. It's open to everyone, but the church, by definition is comprised of those who believe the gospel. That's why I think, when we're thinking about the church, our church here, that's why baptism matters, and membership matters, because you might be someone who says that, why should I get baptized, what does it matter? Uh, because you're saying, I'm not sort of on the outskirts of church, I'm not just sort of attending, and not sure, not clear about what I believe, I'm saying I follow Jesus, He's my Savior, He's my Lord, I'm going to represent that, I'm going to symbolize that through baptism, and then membership again says, I believe in this message. I believe in the gospel and I commit to this church. I'm not just a a seeker on the outside or a visitor. I'm part of what's happening here. Let me just say a word about Sunday, though. Uh, What happens on Sunday morning and Sunday worship, which is, of course, where we are right now, a Sunday is sort of a unique thing. Uh, Obviously, we ask all of our members to come and be part of corporate worship. That's right in our covenant as well. But Sunday morning is also our opportunity to say to anyone and everyone, "Come." come. We have nothing to hide. We want you to see what we do. We want you to hear what we preach. We want anyone, no matter what you believe, you could be an atheist or a Buddhist or whatever you may believe, come. And be part of what happens on Sunday morning. Where do I get that crazy idea from? The Bible. <laughs> the Bible. We have a couple examples. The, the tax collector comes to worship. The Pharisees in the front. He's proclaiming how great he is. And here's this tax collector uh, who has not been living for God. And what does he say as he comes and he hears, and, or he comes into the presence of God? He says, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." And Jesus said, "The tax collector is the one who comes home justified." In God's sight, it's in the gathered worship that he meets God. Well, there's another example in 1 Corinthians where a bunch of people are gathered, and there's some who have the gift of prophecy, and they're declaring God, declaring who God is. And it says, A non believer walks in among you, and he sees and experiences true worship, and he says, God is truly among you. So he's saying, use that corporate worship not only for God's people to gather and worship, but use it as an opportunity for those who don't know the Lord to come and to meet him. I'd say, friends, be careful to join a church. Be careful that you really know what you're getting into when you join a church. Be even more careful to leave a church. And what that means? Now I understand there's good reason to leave a church. Uh, many, many people have come through uh, this church family over the years. It's actually kind of neat if you're a historical, if you're interested in history, to see some of the folks that have come through here. Uh, actually, one of the, one of the greatest, uh, well, one of the greatest American Baptist uh, theologians of all time, a guy named Augustus Strong, was a pastor here uh, during the Civil War. He was a pastor here for about five years. Left here, went on to pastor a church in Cleveland, Ohio, where John Rockefeller was a, was a member, interestingly enough. Then went on to become the president of a seminary called Rochester, Baptist, uh, Rochester Theological Seminary uh, and wrote a book called Systematic Theology that was used by seminarians for many, many years. He was pastor for five years. That kind of neat to know. Uh, another guy by the name of Stephen Hill pastored here in 1806. Um, this was his first pastor here at First Baptist Church. In 1836, he published a book called Christian Hymns. Which was a collection of 655 hymns that he wrote. And was used by churches all over the United States. He eventually moved to D.C. and became the chaplain of the Senate in 1856. He started off here. It's just neat to see uh, the people who have come through these doors over the years. Who have been part of this church family. Friends, we are his people. That should be humbling to think of. We're God's beloved people some from every tongue and tribe and nation, but we belong to him as his possession forever. Ultimately, friends, this is not our church. It's God's church. It's not mine. It's not not the longest member's church. It's not even those who founded this church's church. It's his possession. It belongs to him. And we're called to get busy sharing and inviting and witnessing To proclaim his excellencies. That he takes a people from darkness to light. And I just encourage you friends to do the same. Let us as a church. Let me together. Using the gifts that God has given us. To proclaim his excellencies. To make sure our city knows. That God has shown mercy to those. Who at one time did not have mercy. The church is the people. Who believe the gospel. Friends, I hope you, if you're here today, I hope you're part of the church, capital C. <laughs> uh, you, you believe in Jesus and you are part of his universal one bride all over this planet and throughout all of history, triumphant church who will one day be gathered in glory. But I also hope that you are part of a local church, if not here, then somewhere else, like we had in Corinth or Philippi, Colossae or Antioch back in the New Testament, uh, committed to a group, a visible group of believers who are loving and committed and serving one another, hurting together, forgiving one another, rejoicing together, caring for each other, staying together, giving generously towards the cause of the gospel. Together, with one another, through all the ups and downs, through the fun times and the hard times, and then eternity afterwards. Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of the church. I can't imagine, as I would think that many here would agree, that I can't imagine living the Christian life all by myself. Uh, seeking to, 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 to know you and live in fellowship with you, uh, but to do it completely alone would be so much different. So we thank you for the benefit and the blessing, the gift, the treasure really, of a church family. Uh, So Lord, we pray for First Baptist in particular. Uh, We pray that you would continue to bless us as a church as as you have done so faithfully over so many years. We pray, Lord, that we continue to walk with one another as those who believe in the gospel and who love one another. Lord, we look forward to that great and that glorious day in which this church, all those who truly know the Lord Jesus, In this church will be gathered with all other Christian churches throughout all of time. And all your people together as the bride of Christ will live in sinless fellowship with you for eternity. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And thank you for your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen.